sun, sun, Mr. Golden Sun, please shine down on me. Yes, the Mr. Sun, sun, Mr. Golden Sun, I'm behind a tree. I sneak a peek in my rearview mirror at Laura as she sings away at the top of her voice to Barney's greatest hits. Oh yes, Barney's greatest hits is an actual thing and his so-called music booms at full volume through my battered old micro, battering my poor unfortunate ears in the process. Her blonde curls bounce as she claps her hands. She begs me to join in with her. So I do, of course. I'm always selflessly obliging where my daughter is concerned. We sing our lungs out as we zip down the motorway, belting out those happy, clappy, crappy tunes. Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun, please shine down on me. Oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun, hiding behind the tree. These little children are asking you Please come out so we can play with you Oh Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun Please shine down on me I wouldn't say I was racist But this musical fiasco makes it blatantly obvious That Americans were put on Earth to melt our brains in every way they possibly can Fact Barney's music is used to torture inmates at Guantanamo Bay. Futility music, they call it. Played over and over and over in order to demonstrate to stubborn prisoners that sticking to their guns is a pointless exercise. On we go down the M9 until we reach our destination. As soon as we pull into the apple green, I see him. Liam parked in his usual spot still dressed for work a well-cut three-piece suit in a trendy shade of blue he's minus the tie it is Friday after all sitting there in the afternoon sunshine on the bonnet of his sleek black BMW he smokes a cigarette not a care in the world Mandy his fiancée, stands beside him in 20-inch stilettos. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but she's certainly been dipping herself into the fake tan. Buckets of it. Stayed of her. Stood there, giggling, with those ridiculously long hair extensions. I'll bet they were pulled straight from the head of some poor, innocent Indian orphan. Liam notices me approach and the cigarette is immediately disposed of in some nearby bushes. He leans over and says something to Mandy. She glances in my direction and makes herself scarce by hastily hopping into their car. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! I'm here, I'm here! Look, look! (laughs) Relax, he can see you, love. Laura screams in excitement. She screams like this every time we arrive here at the designated handover location. 
It's supposedly halfway between our respective towns and surely the best solution for all involved. But it usually takes me more than 45 minutes to get here and only takes him half an hour. Laura waves her arms with such force that they're in real danger of disconnecting from her shoulders. Sweetheart, sweetheart, calm down, okay? I'm trying to park the car. And trying to be ever so calm myself, I awkwardly reverse into the one remaining empty space. And of course it's too tight because some arsehole has parked his massive Mercedes across the white line. Which means I have to pull back out and attempt it again. With Liam grinning and Mandy sniggering. Well, maybe she's not. Because I can't actually see her face. But I imagine she's the type of woman who constantly laughs at the expense of others. Laura releases herself from the shackles of her booster seat. Cheeks tinted bright pink with excitement at the prospect of two whole days hanging out with Daddy. Ignoring all my previous, super strict, non-negotiable instructions, she climbs through the car from the back and flops into the passenger seat. She turns and faces me with such a serious expression that I nearly burst out laughing. Mummy. Laura. I have to ask you something, okay? Oh dear. Sounds serious. Am I in trouble? No. You're not in trouble, but you have to tell me the truth. You always tell me it's important to tell the truth. (laughs) All right, so? What do you do when I'm in Daddy's house? What do you mean? Like, what do you do when I'm not at home? What kind of things do you do when we're not together? What do I do? Yeah. What do you do? Oh, loads and loads and loads of things. Loads and loads of things like what? She's never actually asked me that before. So I'm a bit floored, to be honest. Slightly taken aback. Because I have an amazingly fast brain, I managed to spout out a long list of super amazing activities. I'm going shopping for shoes that are completely covered in silver sequins. Then I'm going to the cinema to see a very scary vampire movie. After that... I'm going to drink coffee with my lovely, pretty friends. And then I'm going to read a big, fat book with thousands of pages. Oh, and I nearly forgot. I'm going skateboarding. You're going skateboarding? How? You don't even have a skateboard. Ha! I got you. (laughs) I made that bit up. She giggles. Convinced that I'm about to embark on an action-packed, fun-filled weekend of pure craziness... Laura leans across for a kiss and a cuddle. I hold her tight and breathe her in. Have fun, Mummy. See you Sunday. Love you. Love you too, sweetie. I watch the furry white rucksack bob up and down on her back as she skips over to Liam. She spent two whole hours packing it and unpacking it and repacking it. Liam's face breaks into a wide smile as he gathers our little girl in his arms. They're all bear hugs and kisses and tickles. Laura looks back at me and waves before Liam gently helps her into the back of his car. Mandy turns around to greet Laura. 
At this point, I imagine myself flying across the car park at full speed. I rip open the door of their car, pull Mandy out by the hair extensions. She ends up on the ground while I'm in her face screaming, Keep away from my daughter, you dirty skank. Don't you even look at her. Do you hear me? Of course, I wouldn't actually do something like that. But we all have dreams. I hate that she gets to spend all these weekends with Laura. But that's just the way things are now. I always wonder what they talk about when they're together. And when I ask Laura, she says that Mandy's really funny. And Mandy makes her laugh. And Mandy makes Daddy laugh. Mandy and Daddy are always laughing. A lot. Mandy is one big weekend comedy festival. When Laura's all set and secured into her car seat, Liam nods towards me, gets into his car, and the engine splutters into action. I wait, as always, to see Laura off. As they pass me, she waves one last time. They pull out of the apple green and manoeuvre onto the slip road and into the Friday evening traffic. I keep my eyes firmly glued to their car until it morphs into a dot and disappears. So, there I am. First things first. I remove my top-secret stash of Marlboro lights from under the driver's seat and light one up. Take a deep drag. Expel the smoke. Fill the interior with a hazy fog. Start the motor. Switch on the radio. Mary Wilson is interviewing some well-known Irish actress who was once nominated for an Oscar. She's whinging about how much she misses the friendliness and realness of Irish people since her stratospheric career has forced her to relocate to L.A. I mean, it's all very well living in a never-ending summer, in a condo, with a swimming pool and an entourage of servants at my beck and call. But sometimes, Mary, sometimes we need the rain, don't we? Oh, fuck off, for fuck's sake, you stupid woman. Almost an hour later, I pull into my driveway. And there he is. Stood there as per usual. Jim. Our grumpy next-door neighbour. Busying himself in his busy little garden. We just love and adore big sunny Jim. I get out of my car. Preparing for the mindless chit-chat I'll have to endure for the next 60 seconds. Hello, Mary. Hello, Jim. Little one's away. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah, she's off with her daddy for the weekend. You know yourself. Has to be done. Oh, indeed it does. A bit of a break for you. That's right, Jim. It'll be quiet around here, so, huh? Nice and quiet, Jim. Laura's completely terrified of him. We'd been living here about a week. She was outside playing in the garden when her ball dared to bounce onto his gloriously manicured green lawn. She scrambled over the fence to get it back, 
and managed to stand all over his daffodils in the process. I was watching the whole episode from the front window. What in the name of God do you think you're doing to my garden, huh? Look what you're after doing to me daffodils. Get that feckin' ball out of here, and if I ever see it or you on my property again, you can say goodbye to your feckin' ball forever. Now do you hear me? Laura started sobbing. Obviously, old Jim Bob wanted to show her who's the boss. But I wasn't going to let some giant, wrinkle-headed geriatric speak to my six-year-old child like that. So out I went. Climbed over the fence. Made it my business to trample the rest of his stupid daffodils. Listen to me, you big bully. If you ever speak to my daughter like that again, I'll get that walking stick and shove it where the sun doesn't shine. I beg your pardon? My wife planted those flowers and... Well, I couldn't care less. Now Jim and I... Well... We make small talk. I'm sure he'd rather not acknowledge me at all. But I think he's completely terrified of me. Jim's always outside. Hovering. In all kinds of weather. Sponge in hand. Washing his beloved car. Waxing it. Turtle wax is the only man for the job. Cleaning spotless windows. Windeline is the only man for the job. Or attacking invisible moss with his top-of-the-range power hose. Or tackling non-existent weeds in the bedding. If you don't keep on top of them feckers, they take over. It seems that Jim does anything he can to avoid being inside with Mavis, his reclusive wife. She's never anywhere to be seen. Keeps a very low profile. We've been here over a year now, and I think I've seen her twice. I dread these weekends. I really do. The overwhelming silence in the house makes me claustrophobic. The quietness of it all gets in on me. The best thing to do is keep myself as busy as possible. On Friday evenings, I normally attack the week's laundry with a vengeance. Take my time separating the colours and the fabrics because there's nothing more annoying than having colours running into one another. After that, I'll watch a movie or a box set on Netflix. Or, if I'm feeling in any way patriotic, I'll tune into the late late, depending on who Tubbers has managed to get on. I've applied for tickets loads of times, but I've never managed to bag any. Like most people, the only reason I want to go is to get one of those one-for-everyone-in-the-audience prizes. Or better still, the toy show. To take the edge off, I have a glass of wine. Well, I always try to have one glass, but it never works out that way, which generally means I'll finish the bottle. And while all that is going on, I check out the intriguing achievements and exciting lives of others on Facebook. Yes, indeedy. My fabulous virtual friends. (laughs) If I bumped into any of these people on the street... Would I stop to have a conversation with them? Would I buy them a drink on a night out? 
Would I even want to talk to them? Like, do I really give an actual shit if Melanie Murphy did the Camino Way with her four sisters and it was the ultimate in family bonding experiences and next year they're doing Mount Kilimanjaro? No, I don't. Or that Seamus Ryan, the biggest prick in the universe, a complete idiot and waste of space, is in a relationship? Nope. Don't care. Even if he is my cousin. Or that Deirdre Condon has been promoted to regional manager for the Northwest is loving it and hashtag follow your dreams guys and hashtag never give up guys. Or that Linda Kelly has lost 75 stone and they gave her a bunch of red roses at Slimming World on Wednesday evening for being such an amazing, inspirational lady. Linda, you're such a ledge. Linda, you inspire me. Linda, I'm in tears at your story because your story is my story too. Puke. I close my laptop and head into Laura's bedroom. Turn on her nightlight. A flowery orange glow. Wrap myself in her Scooby-Doo duvet. Oh, that smell. Her little smell. I breathe her in and fall asleep. On Saturdays, I have a terrible bad habit of waking up far too early. Being a weekend early bird really pisses me off. I get up slightly hazy from last night's vino. Drink a bucket of coffee. Sit alone at the dining room table. Fact. Toast is the noisiest food you can consume while dining solo. Next on the agenda. Change the bedsheets. Hoover the carpet. Polish the furniture. Bleach some things. Iron some things. Fold them. Put them away. I scrub our little bungalow from top to bottom. Force myself into the shower. Scrub myself from top to bottom. At lunchtime, I head out into the big bad world and down the town. End up in our one and only coffee shop hotspot, Broomsticks. (laughs) The name is fairly apt, as most of the employees have a fairly witchy look about them. It's busy and buzzing. I find myself surrounded by happy, smiling families. All out and about for their Saturday afternoon lunchtime treat. And shame on you, if you have the audacity to be occupying a whole table to yourself. Only to be sipping on the one coffee for an hour. And if you were in any way considerate, and you actually bothered to take in your surroundings, then surely you'd notice that the cafe is clearly chock-a-block with hungry, paying customers. A pink-haired, gum-chewing waitress makes it blatantly obvious that I'd want to be moving my arse fairly shortly by using a selection of 
subtle-as-a-brick strategies. She constantly pops over and wipes around my coffee cup. She refills the milk jug, gives the same treatment to the sugar bowl. Would you like to order anything else? Just a coffee, then? Nothing, Weary? Are you sure? Will you be needing anything else today? Are you finished with that? Do you want to see the lunch menu? I'll tell you what our specials are, just in case you change your mind, yeah? Wild mushroom soup and homemade gluten-free bread. And, uh, hang on a sec. Oh, yeah, goat's cheese tart with beetroot and carrot salad. All ingredients locally sourced. And organic. Oh, the goat's local? Isn't that fantastic? Uh, I think he is, yeah. He? And would you have any idea what this local goat's name is? His name? Uh, I don't know. I can check with my manager if you like. That'd be amazing. Thank you so much. While she's up there making goat-related inquiries, I get up to leave. There's a collective sigh of relief from every person in the cafe when they realise that the selfish table hog is finally gathering her belongings, enabling the waiting colony of vultures to pounce. A stunning, blonde, yummy mummy, dressed head to toe in Benetton, and the skinniest white skinny jeans I've ever seen on a pair of legs, beats everyone to the post as she pushes her offspring towards my table with superhuman strength. Her brat pack of mini-me's swoop down and land on the coveted prize. Yummy Mummy has a look of absolute triumph on her perfectly made-up face. And even I feel proud of her as she places her well-toned behind upon the chair. I escape and head to the library. Grab a novel from the recommended shelf by an up-and-coming author. The back cover declares it to be a sublime journey and the most exciting debut in years and a literary tour de force. I'm a complete sucker for French adjectives, so this book is right up my street. As I'm checking out at the counter, a nauseating man in boat shoes and chinos, hello 1990, is standing with his poor, unfortunate, unhappy son. An adorable little chap, except for the fact that he's been struck down in his youth by one of those horrendous pudding bowls stuck to your head haircuts. I'm sorry, but in my opinion, those haircuts should be outright banned and classified as cruelty to children. Daddykins stands beside me, declaring loudly to his captive library audience Danny is such an amazing reader. And him only just gone seven. <laughs> He's read The Hobbit, you know. The Hobbit. I didn't venture down that talking path till I was at least ten. Can you believe that? What next? War and peace? <laughs> Always got his head stuck in a book, my Danny. If I had a haircut like that, I'd have my head stuck in a book too. Excuse me? What did you just say? Oh, I was saying that there's nothing like having your head stuck in a good book, right? Start them young. 
that's what I say. Absolutely spot on. It's the only way forward. The smiling librarian indulges the boasting boaster. Because, let's face it, she has to. It's her job to smile and nod, and it's a dirty job, a really dirty job. But some poor sucker has to do it. Next destination. Little. Little has become something of a Saturday afternoon social club. I meet an army of mothers from Laura's school as I gracefully meander the aisles, filling up my trolley. Laura not with you, Marie? No shit, Sherlock. No, she's with her daddy this weekend. Oh, I tell you what, I wouldn't give for the luxury of being brat-free and husband-free for just a couple of days. Even just one day. (laughs) Who are you telling? I swear to God, I'm sick of a lot of them. Moaning and whinging non-stop. That's all they ever do, I swear. I'll be perfectly honest. I only come here to get away from them. And of course, when I get home, Mark will be sitting there on his fat arse complaining about the insane length of time it took me to do a little bit of shopping. And him stuck in the house listening to the kids fighting and bickering over nothing at all. And him after working hard all week long. Like, I'm not out working myself. And is it too much to ask to be able to watch the bloody rugby in peace? And this is a really important match. Like, Leinster have to bloody win, you know that? And when I tell him that he's more than welcome, <laughs> more than bloody welcome to do the weekly shop if he wants to, he starts backtracking. I blame his mother, you know. She's bought him bloody rotten growing up. <laughs> anyway, great to see you, Marie. Catch you for a coffee soon. You're such a lucky bitch having a weekend all to yourself. That's me. All good looks and good luck. (laughs) Oh my God, you're so hilarious. Gas, all together, you crack me up so you do. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely gas, Marie. See you soon. Toodles. We go our separate ways and go about our lives. There's actually nothing luxurious about being stuck in a noiseless, silent vacuum on your own for two whole days. God, it's all pretty sad, isn't it? Everyone going about their own business. People stopping for a quick chat. Nobody with very much to say. No one says very much at all. I reach my favourite aisle. Select two bottles of cheap and cheerful Sauvignon Blanc. Quickly wheel my trolley to the checkout. Of course, there's a lengthy queue. And when the powers that be decide to go mental and open another till, there's that usual ridiculous carry-on. You go ahead. No, not at all. Go on, you're grand. Stop, you go on. Sure, you've only a couple of things. While they're all caught up being sickeningly diplomatic about queue etiquette, I bypass the lot of them and head straight to the top of the freshly opened checkout. I hear gasps of utter shock and disbelief behind me. The audacity. The cheek of that woman. Oh, no manners at all. A disgrace is what it is. I pay. I leave. Get into my car and head home. And of course, Jim's outside when I pull into the driveway. 
Hello, Marie. Hello, Jim. Getting the shopping in. No shit, Sherlock. That's right. Stocking up, huh? <laughs> That's right, Jim. Stocking up. I go inside with my bags of shopping. Close the sitting room curtains. Block out all remaining daylight. Unload the bags. Put everything away in its rightful place. Fire a supermarket meal for one into the microwave. A delightful chicken jalfrezi. I open a bottle of wine and knock back the first glass, accompanied by my tasteless curry. This edible delight is all sauce and seriously lacking in the chicken department, which is not a huge problem because I'm seriously considering vegetarianism or veganism, which everyone lets me eat eggs. I can never remember. Pour myself a generous refill. Then another. And finally the buzz arrives. That warm glow I've been yearning for all day. Knowing it will grab my shitty mood by the scruff of the neck and banish it. Temporarily at least. From my head. Guzzle away until the first bottle is done and dusted. Depleted. An empty, vacuous vessel. I take out my mobile. And open bottle number two. (laughs) Zero calls. Zero messages. Open my photos. Most of them are of Laura. Some of them with Liam. Laura's first baby photos. (laughs) How we doted on her. We'd fight over whose turn it was to hold her. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and sit watching her like a psycho. Her perfect little face. (laughs) Just edible. That holiday to Malaga... Laura was only one, and Liam didn't want to go, but I somehow managed to convince him. It was way too hot, and Laura got sunburned and blistered, and we ended up going to see this doctor with really bad English, and we had to spend the rest of the holiday indoors. And Liam blamed me, because he hadn't wanted to go in the first place. And the time we built that huge snowman in the park... (laughs) We called him Mr. Icy Pants. Laura sobbed because her hands turned numb and blue with the cold and Liam rubbed them until she got warm. She sobbed and sobbed when we went back to the park a few days later and Mr. Icy Pants had melted and disappeared. I was sad to see him go myself. Shortly after that, Liam informed me that he'd been offered a job in Dublin. He had to take it. There was nothing for him round here. It was an amazing opportunity. He said he tried his best to make our relationship work for Laura's sake, but it wasn't going to happen. He didn't love me. Not in that way. There was no big dramatic row, or fighting, or tears, or screaming, or anything like that. No begging him to stay, or try again. 
there was no point. I stand smoking Marlborough lights like a chimney at the back door. Oh, it's so dark out here. And quiet. No light pollution. No traffic. Not a breath. So when I hear singing, I think I've imagined it. But there it is. Clear as day. A woman's voice. With the torch on my iPhone, I walk to the other side of the garden and look over the fence. I nearly jump out of my skin when I locate the mystery singer. Stretched out on the damp grass is Jim's wife, Mavis. I quickly climb over to where she's lying. Her song comes to an abrupt end. She starts giggling. Are you bringing me out today? Are we going out later? Do you know what we'll do? We'll go back inside. No, I don't want to. Mavis, you're freezing. Come on, let's go inside for a while. I lift her scrawny body from the ground. The back door of her house is wide open. The smell that meets us is overwhelming and I gag a couple of times as we go in. There's a stench of decaying food hanging in the air. It knocks the wind out of me. When I eventually find the light switch and turn on the light, the filth of their kitchen is instantly illuminated. It's disgusting. Old newspapers piled high on tables and chairs. Mountains and mountains of unwashed dishes. Huge cobwebs stretch their intricate walkways across the length of the ceiling. Would you like some tea? I made your favourite buns. I can't believe this disaster is going on next door. And how I didn't notice. But then again, I never actually bothered to ask. I call out to him, but there's no reply. And part of me wants to run home as quickly as possible. Because I'll be quite honest with you. I do not want to stumble upon Jim's corpse. Or any corpse, for that matter. We walk through the dark, dingy hallway. Mavis chattering away. When I find him in the front room, on an armchair, snoring, I breathe a sigh of relief. Jim is still with us. Thank fuck for that. A glass of whiskey, half empty dangles dangerously from his hand, a bottle of bushmills tucked neatly under his arm. He reminds me of Father Jack, the way he stuck to the chair. I mean, (laughs) I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if Ted or Dougal or Bishop Brennan made an appearance right now. The living room has been transformed into a convenient bedroom for Mavis, I've never seen so many ornaments and Holy Mary statues and statues of Jesus posing in various pious positions. A right shrine to the world's religious heroes. 
Unlike the kitchen, this room is pristine. At the front window stands a bed. It has one of those rails on it that's there to stop the occupier from falling out. Over the mantelpiece hangs a huge framed picture of a handsome man, a pretty woman and two young children. It's one of those stylized black and white jobs that people get done by professional photographers. A family photo shoot. I wanted to do one when Laura was a baby. But Liam said they were tacky and a complete waste of money. It looks completely out of place in this room. I'm assuming it's Jim's son or daughter. I don't remember ever hearing him mention them or seeing them visit. I approach Jim. Call his name. But he's unconscious. So I touch him softly on the arm. And he groans. And moves. And stirs and wakens. And the minute he sees me, the intruder, he's straight up onto his feet. The glass drops to the floor. What in the name of God do you think you're doing in my house? What are you doing in here, huh? How the hell did you get in here? And then, of course, he notices her. Stood there, the soaking wet nighty clinging to her body. He looks at me, defeated and deflated. Slumps straight back down into the armchair. Lowers his head into his hands. I don't know what to do, apart from trying to make myself useful in some way. So, I deal with the matter at hand. In a chest of drawers, I find some towels and clothing. I lift the soggy nightdress over Mavis's head. She reminds me of a doll I once had as a child. The same floppy body. Like a big bunch of rags all sewn together. Like if I'm too rough with her, she'll break into pieces. She's all skin and bone, and to be honest, I'm finding her difficult to look at. I dry her off and help her into the fresh nightdress. Jim looks straight at me. I don't know if he's waiting for me to speak, but I don't know what to say. I help Mavis get into her bed and pull the quilt and blankets up around her, cosy and warm. She's falling asleep as her head reaches the pillow. I sit down on the carpet beside Jim's chair and we sit there for a while until finally he speaks. Every lad round here for miles wanted her but she picked me. She picked me. She married me and she was the best wife a man could wish for. It's not fair that she's after ending up like this. Not one bit fair. She doesn't deserve this. If you don't mind me saying, you could probably do with some help, Jim. Help? Would you ever go and feck off at yourself? I know what people mean when they talk about getting help. I'm not sending Mavis away to some old nursing home somewhere. I know damn well what goes on in them places. She's my wife, and I'm well able to look after her, so don't you come waltzing in here telling me I need help. I fell asleep, that's all. This is not the end of the world, is it? Where are they? 
I indicate the picture over the mantelpiece. Well, he's been gone a couple of years, New Zealand. After that earthquake happened in Christchurch, he went out to work on the rebuilding there. He's a carpenter, and they were crying out for all kinds of tradesmen. So off he went. Met a girl. That's that. But surely he knows about... He's got his own life to live. His own children to take care of now. Sometimes you have to let go. We get on with it the best we can. And by the way, don't go thinking that I need you to feel sorry for me now. Because I don't. Although I suppose you're way too busy feeling sorry for yourself. Excuse me? You know what I mean. Do I? That attitude of yours. That chip on your shoulder. It won't do you any favours. Might be the reason you don't have any friends. I have plenty of friends, thank you very much. Really? Is that why you never go out anywhere in the evenings? The child's away, isn't she? What I do with my evenings is none of your business. Ah, don't go getting up on your high horse now. I just think that a young woman like yourself should be off out enjoying herself whenever she has the opportunity. You certainly shouldn't be sitting over there in that house on your own, wasting away like some kind of an old recluse. Shouldn't be so dependent on your child either. I am not. Life's too feckin' short. Get out into the world and enjoy every minute. I can't. And why is that? I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. Of course you do. I feel like I'm stuck. Right. So there's your answer. Now all you have to do is figure out how to unstick yourself. I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. You're the only person who knows how. So you better make it your business to do it. Do you hear me? We sit there for a while. Some days she's fine, you know. Good days when she remembers things. Even if they're silly, stupid, nonsensical little things. Occasionally, she remembers who she is, remembers who I am. And as long as she still has those days, then we'll manage. Jim looks over at Mavis, lying there, dreaming happily, oblivious. We sit there for the rest of the night, and he talks about her for hours the kind of person she used to be. How beautiful she was when she was a young woman. The funny things she used to come out with. Before she got lost in this world of her own. Before she became this lost little woman. We're still sat there as the sun makes its way back up. And soon enough, I'll be heading down the motorway again on my way to get Laura and I can't wait to hear her sing at the very top of her voice
You've been listening to Mr. Sun by Gillian Grattan. Cathy Rose O'Brien played Marie. The late Pat Laffin, Jim. Anini Weary was Mavis. And Ellie Sullivan made her debut as Little Laura. Sense of Provision was by Richard McCulloch. And the play was produced by Aidan Matthews.